0: Well good morning. Good to see you. Hey, uh, I'm just curious, do we have any Saturday night people here? You know, i Saturday night. Hey, welcome to Sunday morning. Yeah, it's great. Good to have you. Uh I still in the last service, uh yeah, you know, you the the nine o'clock service. Uh If that don't make sense for the first 15 minutes, that's because it's my first time through uh, the the teaching. and It's like the Saturday night people won't know the difference. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. But it's uh, great to have you here. Uh, It's a beautiful weekend. He's still recovering a little bit from from Christmas. You still? I still feel a little bit in the backwash of that. But uh, hey, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. I mentioned at the top of the service, but... um, Typically, the the weekend right after Christmas, I bring a New Year's message, and uh, not going to do that this year. We're going to stay in series uh, in our series in the Gospel of John, and uh, with kind of a New Year's twist to it. But but we're going to stay in series, and then next weekend we're going to have a special message on uh, to kind of prepare us for the the New Year. So we're going to do it just a little bit differently. Kind of felt like today we wouldn't quite be ready yet to think about uh, a New Year. We're still thinking about Christmas, so uh, still recovering. So. Uh, if you're brand new here, want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Mike, I'm one of the pastors, and inside of your, uh, your program is a white message note sheet. And also want to mention that uh, if you're brand new, that about once a month, uh, Lynn and I hosted our home a dessert on a Saturday evening. It's just a chance to get to get some uh, for us to, to, to meet some uh, people who are new to the church, we talk a little bit about uh, vision and values of the church, where we're going, and you get a chance to meet some other new people. It's a great way to get started here at Rocky Peak. We call it our welcome dessert or our next step dessert. And so so if you're interested in that, we actually have one, I think it's in two weeks uh, coming up, and you can just write on your um, Connect card that's inside your program, write welcome to Sir, write next step, and we'll we'll contact you and see if we can schedule either for the next one or the following one. Uh, we do it about once a month. So um, I think that's it. I'm ready to jump in. Y'all, y'all ready to go? Yeah. All let right, right, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our church, and thank you for a new year that we're... We're heading towards a brand new year. It's a time of fresh starts, new beginnings, times of reevaluation of our life. And as we come today to talk about uh, just some amazing teaching of yours about uh, life, the path to life, uh, what it takes to experience the life you've come to give us, we pray that you would give us uh, just an openness of heart, of spirit, that we'd really be listening deeply to what you'd say to us today by your spirit. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today. It's, it's the spring of the year. Um, and in fact, it's the last week of Jesus' life. It's, uh, there's a Friday night, he, he rides into town right outside Jerusalem, a couple miles outside into Bethlehem. Um, Saturday night, they have a special dinner in his honor there, and then on Sunday, he rides into to town on the donkey, the, the, the fall of a donkey. And, uh, and the crowd's going crazy. Uh, it's Passover time. And Passover time in Israel is sort of like our Fourth of July, we've talked about that before. It's a time when the whole nation looks back on the, uh, on their, their history when they were slaves in Egypt and God supernaturally delivered them by sending Moses. And so it's a time where they remember God's supernatural creation of a nation and it's a time that they're praying that God would send a new deliverer to rescue them from the Roman oppression. If you remember about a year prior to this event, the previous Passover, previous spring, Jesus had been up in the north of the country at Galilee and he had Fed the 5,000 with the one kid's happy meal. Remember that? And, uh, and as a result of that, um, the people wanted to make him king. I don't know if you remember that, but they wanted to make him king, and he turned down that offer. And uh, he had not come to be that kind of a king, kick out the Romans and so on. Now it's a year later, his popularity is at an all-time high. Just a month or two before, maybe a few weeks before, he had healed Lazarus right outside of town, two, mile, two miles outside of town. And so... Um, a lot of people knew of that uh, and so he, he rides, he gets on this donkey and he rides into, down to Jerusalem down the Mount of Olives and, and this huge crowd comes and it's really like a political rally. Um, if you kind of kind of picture one of our political conventions, you know, well, you know, it's just the cheering and so on. It's a very it's a political. I mean, they're they're waving palm branches because the palm branch is a symbol of the nation of Israel, much like us kind of waving stars and stripes or something like that. It's actually on their coins, minted on their coins, and and so they're they're waving their their palm branches. Uh, they're 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 yelling out uh, messianic psalms. They're, they're they're welcoming as the king of Israel. Blessed is the, the the king of Israel. So it's really like a political rally. What they're asking was, would you, would you step up? Would you lead us? Would you be our Messiah? And uh, Jesus is trying to downplay this. Some I mean, after all, he doesn't ride in a white stallion like a conquering general. He won't, he comes in on a grey donkey or a brown donkey or whatever. So he's trying to send him a message. It's a different kingdom, but they're not picking up on this. And uh, And the religious leaders are going crazy because they've been doing everything to keep him under wraps, keep more people from going towards him, and obviously the plan's not working. And right at that point in the story, John tells us this really interesting uh, little fact that none of the other Gospels tells us. Something happens at this point in the story that I don't know if exactly that day or if it was later on the week, it's the next thing that happens, Then, on the surface, honestly, it seems like a nothing type event. But it strikes Jesus as really significant and uh, he dives in and does some of the greatest teaching he, he gives in, in all the book of John on his death, his, res, uh, his death, why he comes, what it takes for us to receive this new life he has to get. So we're going to be looking at that later. For those of you who are brand new, um, we're in the midst of a series here. It's called Revealed. You can see it on our walls. It's a study of the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers and friends a man by the name of John who later wrote an account of this called the Gospel of John we have it in our New Testament. And so we've been going through that. We're actually in the second mini-series. You see it there in the front of your note sheet. It's called Conflict and Crisis. Starts at chapter 5, goes to chapter 12. And we're, so we're almost done with that. In just a couple of weeks, we'll be kicking into a new, new mini-series that covers 13 through 17. And so, um, so anyway, uh, uh, today we come to chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, why don't you open up there and let me set the stage. Like I said in the opening, um, this is the last week of Jesus' life. On Friday, he comes into town. He stays at Bethany. Now, Bethany is two miles outside of uh, Jerusalem. It's where he healed Lazarus. The next night on Saturday, they have a special dinner in his honor. Mary is there, anoints him with the perfume. We've had that story. Sunday, big political rally. Now, Jerusalem is packed for Passover, um, one of the ancient historians, Josephus, you've heard that name, uh, uh, the Jewish, jo- uh, Josephus says that during Passover, there would be between two and three million pilgrims. Now most, his score be, to be, uh, to be uh, uh, kind of fair here, most historians think that he's exaggerating, it's grossly exaggerated, but the point is, uh, the, names, the city is packed with pilgrims. And and so uh, Jesus is uh, coming into the city, and in the midst of this, John tells us this little story. Something happens that triggers a big response in Jesus that on the surface seems really like, I don't get it. And so we're going to pick up the story in verse 20, right after he's come into the city uh, on the donkey, and everyone's going crazy. So let's pick it up, uh, 1220. So... um, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. Um, in the ancient world, uh, there were a lot of people who had bought into the God of Israel but were not really fully Jewish. They, they had not been converted. They didn't do all the laws. They didn't get circumcised. But they believed in the God of Israel. And so uh, when you would have these big feasts three times a year, that many of these uh, kind of Gentiles that were called God-fearers because they, they they feared the God of Israel. But their God fears, they would actually make the trip to Jerusalem. And so they had come, and um, and so in verse 21, it says they, they came to Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, and they he was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they have this request. He said, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And so what they want is a private interview with, with Jesus, kind of a backstage pass. You know, it's like the, the city is going crazy. Everyone's going crazy over Jesus. They're new in town, probably just heard about Jesus because they're from a long way. And it's like, well, who is this guy? What's he about? And can we get some time with him alone? And so they, they come to Jesus, uh, come to, to Philip and say, hey, we, you know, it's really hard to get to your, your boss and he's really busy, but um, can you get us in? And so he's, you know, Philip doesn't know what to say because they're Gentiles, and Jesus doesn't normally hang out with the Gentiles. He's come to the Jews, and so he's like, I don't know. He has not do. So he goes to another buddy of his, another disciple named um, uh, Andrew, and he says, what do you think? And Andrew doesn't know what to do. And so he's like, I don't know. Let's go ask Jesus. So so they come to verse uh, 21. They come to Philip, who's from Bethsaida, in Galilee, with a request, sir, we'd like to meet Jesus. And so Philip goes and he tells Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, in turn, they go and they tell Jesus. Now, on the surface, like I say, this is like a non-event, right? Uh, Andrew and Philip come to Jesus. Hey, a couple uh, Greeks want to meet you. And it's like, you know, the answer is yes or no, whatever. Move on. But this triggers in Jesus' mind something huge. And what appears to be happening is, remember the scene. It's the last week of Jesus' life. Within a few days, he's going to be crucified. Remember, he's been teaching his own nation for three years. And for the most part, they've rejected him. And he knows what's going to happen. He's going to die. But he's going to die not just for the, the sins of Israel. He's going to die for the sins of the whole world. And he knows what's going to happen, that after he leaves, the message of the gospel is going to go out from the early church, and it's going to go out largely to the Gentile world. And it's going to go to people most likely just like these Greeks that were God fears. They're going to be the first ones who really embrace the gospel of Jesus and become a bridge to the ancient world. So, what seems to be happening is Jesus, as these Greeks come, here he's in the middle of Israel, but these Greeks from far are coming to, and they want to know him. It triggers in him something. This is why I've come, this is what my death's about. And so he begins to give us some amazing teaching about his death and what it means to be a follower and how to plug into his life. And so in verse 23, uh, notice Jesus doesn't even answer their question about this interview. He just goes off. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if you've been with us throughout this series, you know that throughout the book of John, Jesus has said over and over again that my time has not yet come. uh, John sometimes said, my time is not yet come. The time is not yet here. It's not my time yet. Well, now it is his time. See, the time has been referring to the time of his death and resurrection. And it says the time has come for him to be glorified. In other words, it's time for him to return to glory with his father. It's gonna go through the door of the cross. But in a sense, in the gospel of John, we see this, that the cross, it's there that in a sense that Jesus is glorified. It's in the cross that we see what God is like. It's in the cross we see the heart of Jesus. It's in the cross that he will be most glorified in one sense. And so he says, the time has come for me to return to heaven to glory through the the, the cross, time to be glorified. And then he says, um, he's going to use a little mini uh, parable. You know how when Jesus would teach, he would often use these little stories. It's kind of like a mini parable here, a little illustration. He says, I tell you the truth, verse 24, Unless a kernel of wheat, like a grain of wheat, falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is simple enough. We get this, right? Like if you have a grain of wheat, if I were to give you a grain of wheat today, you were to take it home, put it on your kitchen counter, it would just stay there. Unless you blow it off or move it, it's going to stay there for year after year and year. It's just going to stay a single. People come into your house, what's that? It's a grain of wheat. It's grain of wheat. What's it do? Nothing. It's just grain of wheat. Just, it just sits there. Why do you have it there? Well, Mike gave it to me. I don't know. I just sat it there. It's just like, it's a grain of wheat. And uh, he says, but you take that same grain of wheat, you take it out in your backyard, you, you, you plow up the ground, you, you put it in, you, you let the ground crush it, you kill that grain of wheat till it falls apart, its body falls apart. Then out of that grain of wheat, up comes a new stock, and when that new stock comes up, it's going to have grains of wheat all over it it's gonna multiply itself. From the death of the one will come life for the many. And so he uses this illustration. And now he goes on and he wants to expand this principle that life comes out of death. He wants to expand it, not just to talk about his life, but to talk about our lives. This is a principle, it's true, not just for Jesus, it's a principle for all of us. And so he says in verse 25, the man who loves his life Like, you want to hold on to your old life? You want to hold on to your life in this world? uh, He'll lose it. But um, the man who hates his life in this world, uh, he'll keep it for life eternal, eternal life. We'll come back to that. He says, now, whoever serves me must follow me. Like, this is the way of the cross. The way of the cross is the way of my followers, you know? Like, I'm going to go on the earth and die. If, If you want to serve me, you need to follow me in this and where I am, my servant will also be. We'll have fellowship, we'll have relationship as you follow me. My father will honor the one who serves me. And so he's, he's brought up this whole topic of his death. And now all of a sudden it's interesting. We're going to talk about this more when we get to John uh, chapter 14 in a few weeks. But it's really interesting. At this point, uh, Jesus gets really upset. Uh, I think we miss this often. We get so used to the, this whole story of the death of Jesus. We just think he just kind of went through it like, oh, it's death time. I guess I'll go. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's the time. Okay, here we go. I mean, this was really upsetting to him. Uh, it's early in the week, but the weight of what he's about to go through or later, it's, it's weighing heavy on him. And so as he begins to talk about his death in verse 27, he says, Now my heart is troubled. And this is a very strong Greek word, it's, it's ups- he's upset, he's, he's harassed, it's, uh, he's, he's really struggling with this, this thought of going to the cross. And he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Should I ask God to save me? He says, no, it's for this very hour, I, it's for this very reason, I came to this hour, this is why I've come to planet Earth. And so he says, Father, glorify your name. Use this, my death, to bring honor to your name, to help the world see who you are. And so this voice comes from heaven. Now this is interesting because there's only three times in the life of Jesus, that I can remember at least, that, the, the, that there's a voice from heaven where God speaks. It's very unusual. This is one of the times, let's see if we remember the other two times, when was the first time? His baptism, comes out of the water, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. God speaks that from heaven. Okay, the second time, this is a little harder, anyone remember the second time? Very good. Transfiguration. No wonder you're on the front row. Steve, good job. <laughs> uh, he's like, bold. Transfiguration. Last service, you're like, Transfiguration. Like, no, it's like, no, it's the wrong answer. You're wrong. It brings back memories of school. So it's like, yeah. So, Transfiguration. Yeah, when, when he's, he's up on the mountain, he's transfigured. Uh, Peter and John. James are there with them, and the voice comes out of heaven, this is my son, listen to him. So there's only three times in the life of Jesus where God speaks supernaturally from heaven. This is one of them. And the interesting thing is, this time when he speaks, uh, the crowd doesn't really understand what's being said. They, they, some think it's thunder, some think an angel spoke. It's not real clear. Um, and so it says, a voice came from heaven, and here's what God said, I, glor- I have glorified. it. Remember Jesus said, would you glorify your name through my death. He says, I have glorified it you know, through your life and I will glorify it again. And so the crowd that was there, they heard it, they said it thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him, but Jesus says, you know, the voice wasn't really for what well, was for your benefit, not mine. It's like, I, I didn't really need that, it was really more for you, something supernatural is going on here to affirm that what I'm teaching about my death is important. And now he's gonna tell us like why he's going to the cross and he's gonna give us three reasons. And, and here's what he's going to say. He's going to say that as I go to the cross, it looks like a loss, doesn't it? If you're there, it looks like the mission's over. It looks like uh, God's not with him. It looks like a total failure. But Jesus says as he goes to the cross that week, three things are going to happen. Number one is that this world, this world system is going to be judged. Number two He says the prince of this world, the leader of this world, who is Satan, is going to be cast out. And the third thing is he says, and I'm gonna draw all men to myself. So three things. Uh, This world we've seen all through the Gospel of John, this world is a fallen world, it's a dark world, it's a world that rejects the light, that rejects Jesus. And the ultimate rejection of Jesus and the light is gonna be when this world crucifies Jesus. And when that happens, God's judgment is going to be on planet Earth. He has come personally to save this planet, and this world has rejected him, and the judgment is going to. So on the cross, this world is going to be judged. Secondly, on the cross, Satan is going to be dethroned. Remember when we we chose to follow him in the garden so long ago, he became the the default leader of the human race. He's the, the prince of this world. And, and so we gave him the right to lead because we followed him. When Jesus dies, he's going to pay for our sins. He loses that right, and he will be dethroned. And that will be the start of Jesus retaking the planet. The cross of Jesus was the start of his movement to retake the cosmos. And then the third thing is, on the cross, all people will be, brought, will be drawn to Jesus. Not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Gentiles like these gentiles that came to jesus that day and started this whole conversation so let's see what he says verse 30 uh the voice was was uh, for your benefit not mine now is time for the judgment of this world he's going to be judged and now the prince of this world will be driven out there's number two and then the number three verse 32 it should say and not but um, and and I when I'm lifted up from the earth I will draw all men to myself so not not every person but I will draw all kinds of people is the idea and so um, this throws the crowd remember they're still in a mindset the Messiah is going to come kick out Roman rule forever that's what they they've welcomed him palm branches and so on whether it's earlier in the day or earlier in the week we're not sure but but they've, uh, they've welcomed him, and so this talk of him dying is throwing them. They know that he calls himself the Son of Man. They know he's claiming to be the Messiah. In their mind, Messiahs don't die. There's many passages in the Old Testament that talk about Messiahs reigning forever. And so they're confused about this. What do you mean death and dying and lifted up and this whole thing? So the crowd speaks up in verse 34 and says, we have heard from the law, the Old Testament, that the Christ, remember that means Messiah, the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? They're confused now, as they often are. And so Jesus says in verse 35, look, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Remember, he's the light of the world. He says, you're going to have me just a little while longer this week. I'm going to be dying at the end of the week. You're going to have me just a little while longer. Um, so walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Darkness is coming at the end of the week. Pay atten- Just follow me right now. I know this, this all makes sense right now, this whole death thing. I'll just keep following me. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it. So that you may be transformed to become sons of light, you might become like me. So what Jesus is basically saying is, I, "Hey, I know this doesn't make any sense, but just trust me. Just follow me. Pay attention. Just follow me this week. Trust what I'm telling you, and uh, and and then it's, it'll all work out." And then in verse 36, that the end of it is just when he finished speaking, Jesus left and he hid himself from them, and so this is the last time in the gospel. John's got 21 chapters, right, and we're only in chapter 12, but I want you to catch, this is the end of the road for his, 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 him talking to the people. This is the last time in the Gospel of John he will publicly talk to the people. After this, uh, the, next, the next time uh, we're in John, uh, it just kind of wraps up, it's kind of a summary, wraps up some teaching uh, and so on, and then we go into chapters 13 through 17, where all happened the last night that he's arrested, and then we have the crucifixion and resurrection. So this, even though it's only 12 chapters in, this is the end of the story that God has come to the human race, how do they respond, all right? And so this is the last time they're going to see him. Now, so this passage, big picture of this passage, it starts with Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to the praise of the crowds. Uh, Everyone's going crazy. Uh, These Gentiles come up, ask for an interview with Jesus. That sets him off to do some major teaching on why he's come what it means to be his follower, how do we tap into his life. And that's what I want to focus on this teaching today. I call it the grain of wheat principle. But it's this passage where he talks about this grain of wheat. And we want to spell it out. And there's kind of three lessons that um, stand out for us. And I think these are great lessons as we enter this new year, um, as we prepare for the new year. So there in your note sheet you have a section called uh, The Grain of Wheat, The Path to Life. And there's uh, three kind of straightforward uh, principles Let's jump in. The first one is the most obvious, and yet there's kind of more to it than meets the eye. So let's just write it down, and then we'll talk about it. Um, The first one goes like this, is that his death leads to our life, or his death leads to life. His death leads to our life. Now, now this is uh, kind of the most obvious uh, teaching. This is some of the core teaching of the New Testament, right? Like, if you had to break down the core teaching of the New Testament, the core teaching is that we as a race have rebelled against God, that each of us is guilty before God, each of us stands before God. We're hopeless, we're helpless, we're lost, we're doomed, we're damned, we're condemned and we're guilty before our creator for our rebellion, and that Jesus has come to take the punishment we deserve and so that we can have a new life. We can, be, we can be born again. We can be transformed. We can be forgiven. We can live with him forever. This is core teaching of the New Testament, isn't it? And, of course, in the New Testament, um, this, is, this, this core truth is described in many different word pictures, metaphors, images. Well, here Jesus is introducing a new one. He says the reason I have to die is because like, like, I'm like this grain of wheat. And, and if, I just, stay by, if I, I, I just stay by myself, I'll be by myself, but if I die, then I can reproduce myself many times over and many grains of wheat can, can come. So it's a, it's a new picture, it's a new way of describing why he has to die. But I want you to catch something here. I want you to catch the concept of reproduction, spiritual reproduction. That's, that's in here. What Jesus is saying is if I, if, I rem- if I don't go into the ground, I will remain by myself alone. Um, let me put it this way if Jesus wanted to, he could go back to heaven and skip the cross. But if he did that, he would go back by himself. You see? He can't take us with, he can't take us with. But if he says, but if I go into the ground and die, I can produce produce many seeds. Now catch this, this concept of reproduction is very important. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus come to die? I think for a lot of us, what we would say is so that we can be forgiven. Now that is not wrong, but it's partial answer. See, Jesus came for us to be forgiven, but that's not the end of the story. That's the start of the story. The reason that Jesus came is to reproduce his life in you. That's why he came. He came to transform you so that you could be like him. Now, do we have to be forgiven? Absolutely. We can't even start the process unless we're forgiven. We have to be forgiven, and then the Spirit comes in our life because we're forgiven. But the purpose of Jesus coming and dying is not so we can be forgiven, it's so we can be transformed, we can become like him, we can uh, become the people we were created to be. Now, I want you to catch this. I I mentioned that in the New Testament, there's several different images or passages that talk about why Jesus came to die. But I want to give you an example of this. It's there in your note sheet. It's from the book of Hebrews. And here's what the author says. We see Jesus, and of course he's writing after his resurrection, after his return to heaven. He says we see Jesus, he's now, you know, because of his death and resurrection and so on, he's now crowned with glory and honor. Remember what Jesus said in John 12, now is the time has come for me to be glorified. So he went through the cross, that happened. He was glorified. he was returned to heaven, returned to the Father's glory. He says, so we see Jesus now, he's crowned with glory and honor, why? Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, this is all a gift, he might taste death for everyone. So here's another word picture. The human race, there's a, there's a, a cup of poison in front of us, the poison is called death, and Jesus says, excuse me, I will drink the poison for you. And so he's gonna taste death for all of us so we don't have to go through that eternal separation from God. So it says um, that he might taste uh, taste death for everyone. Now look at the next thing. He says, look at how he describes the salvation process. He says, in bringing many sons to what? Glory. Glory. You see that? This is what it's, uh, why did Jesus come to planet Earth? He came to lead many sons to glory. You see? That's the purpose. The purpose is transformation. He says, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. So to catch this, this is so important. We get this as a church that the reason we come to Jesus is to become like Jesus. This is the point. God wants to rescue the. He doesn't want like God doesn't just come into our life and say you're a mess, but I forgive you. That's not the message. He comes into your life and says, You're a mess. I forgive you. Now let's help you grow and get make you better. See, let's let's change you. Another great example of this, uh, you might want to check it out later. I'm gonna have you write this verse down in your note sheet. It's a great verse from the Apostle Paul. It's Romans eight twenty nine. And in that passage, he talks about what we as Christ's followers are predestined for. Like why did God choose us? What's the purpose? And here's what he says. He says that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what we are predestined for. You weren't predestined just to be forgiven. You were predestined to be transformed to be the person God designed you to be when he first thought you up. You see, this is the purpose. Now catch this. This is important for us as, as a church. See, the, the, our goal as a church is not just to come here and get saved and get ready for heaven. Our goal as a church is to come and get saved and then become like Jesus and to become Jesus to the world around us. You see, that's why we're here. That's why we meet in growth groups or life groups, we call them. Uh, that's why we meet in, uh, uh, in our weekend services. We're not coming and just getting our, our, our ticket punched here, you know. Like, hey, okay, we've been to church for the No, no, it's all about transformation, isn't it? It's all about everything. It's like, how do we learn to become like Jesus in his actions, his reactions, his thoughts, his attitudes, his feelings, his values, his priorities? You see, when, when God takes hold of our life, it's a, it's a transformation process. He chooses us to to recreate us and make us like his son. And that process starts now, it'll finish in the next life. That's why we're here. It's what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, let me say this. Uh, This first principle then is that it's through his, his death leads to our life and our transformation. Let me say this. For some of you here, this may be the first time you've heard this message of why Jesus had to die. Like every service, there's some people that have never heard that. And, or maybe it's the first time it's made sense, and you said, you know what, Mike, there's never been a time in my life where I've made the decision to follow Jesus and to ask him into my life, to ask him to forgive my sins, to ask him to come in, to put his spirit in my life, to transform me and change me from the inside out. To give me a whole new life. I've never given my life to Christ. If I were to die today, I wouldn't know what would happen. I I've not been forgiven. I don't have the relationship. And so if that's you, the good news is Christ has come to give you a new life. And at the end of the service today, I'm gonna to give you a chance to pray and to ask Christ into your life. Okay, so if, if that's you, I want you to get ready for that. Okay. Now, number two. So the first the first principle is fairly obvious, you know, that's through his his, uh, his death leads to our life. But here's the second principle that's not so obvious. And it goes like this. That our death leads to life. That our death leads to life. So, so the first principle is that, that Jesus, di- he had to die so it would lead to our life. But here's the thing what I want you to catch is that for us as Christ's followers, Jesus didn't just die for us, he died to model something for us. He was modeling a principle that if you want to experience the life Jesus has come to give you, there are times in your life you're going to have to die to the old. You're gonna to have to die to your old life. You're gonna to have to die to your old attitudes. you have to die to your old emotions. You're gonna to have to die to your old dreams. You're gonna to have to, dry to die to your old priorities. If you want the life Jesus came to give you, you are gonna to have to die with him to the old life. It's, and it's our, so for the Christ follower, we die in order to live. In other words, um, my, uh, my son-in-law, He's got a tattoo on his arm. It's a long tattoo and it says, Dying to Live. Um, originally, when I was first writing this message, that was the title, Dying to Live. And then I thought, if that goes up on the website, no one's gonna come to church two days after Christmas. It's like, that just sounds, like, sounds too depressing, you know? Like, Dying to Live, so I changed it. The Path to Life, Yeah, it sounds like I gotta get more people. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, it's all marketing. Yeah, sorry, sorry. But, uh, Hey, But are you with me in this? That for the Christ follower, that death is a way of life. Death is what unlocks the door to life. Now, this is what Jesus says. I want you to look. Uh, chapter 12 and verse 25. In 24, he talks about his death. He's the seed, falls in the earth, has to die. So that's his story. But now in 25, he broadens it. And he says, the man who loves his life, well, what? Lose it. Lose it. Words, if you try to hold on to the life you were born with, the values you were born with, the, your, your DNA that you inhe- inherited from our first parents, if you try to hold on to that life, it will kill you. That's what he's saying. It's self-destructive. He says, but uh, the man who hates his life in this world, in other words, you let it go, then you'll keep it for eternal life. You'll find a whole new life. Now, if you stop and think about this, this is something Jesus often taught, isn't it? Um, you remember what he said, for example, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Remember that? Same, same exact uh, teaching. That if we want to live this new life, that we have to be willing to die to our old life. Now. This becomes a core teaching of the New Testament as well, um, that Christ has come to give you life. But if you want it, there's going to be times you have to die to the old to get it, for you to rise. Um, like, let me give you an example. One of the best examples is Paul's teaching on baptism in Romans six. You know, baptism is the first step we take as a Christ follower. It's the way we say, "Yes, I want to follow Jesus. I step over the line and follow Him." And Paul explains in Romans 6 what that's about. He says, when a person's baptized, what they're basically saying is, I'm sick of my old life, and I'm sick of my old self. I'm tired of being me. I'm tired of my old attitude. I'm tired of my old emotions. I'm tired of my old priorities. I'm sick of being who I am. I want out I want to be a new person. In fact, I want to be like Jesus, that person. I like him. I don't like what I see in me. I want out. Is there a way for me to die to who I am and a way to rise up and be like him? And Paul says, yes, that's what happens in baptism. When we we step over that line and we believe in Jesus, what happens is that we get connected, we get networked, we go online online, are you with me? We get networked into Jesus. And so we suddenly, we reap all the benefits of his death and resurrection. That before we couldn't die to ourselves because we were ourself. You know, it's just all I am. Is, I am who I am. No matter how many self-help books I read, no how much discipline I have, I am who I am. And I can't escape myself. Like somehow I need to die and then rise to be a new person. But how can I do that? And Paul says that's what happens when a man or woman believes in Jesus. That he died for you. He didn't just die for your sins to be forgiven. He died for you so that you could die and you could rise to be a new person. And that's what this core symbolism of baptism, the most important symbol of the Christian life, of what it means to be a Christ follower, that's what it's about. That in baptism we die to the old, we rise to the new. So look how he says it. Romans 6 4, on your note sheet. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a what? A new life. You see, the whole point of following Jesus is to be transformed to get rid of your old self, who you were, to rise to the new self, the self God's dreamed you up to be. Now, of course, we have a a choice in this matter, don't we? Come to Jesus, we believe in him, we're baptized, the Holy Spirit comes in our life, we go online with Jesus, we have access now to the power of his death to die, we have access to his power to live a new life, and so we have the resources we need, but we still have to make a choice, don't we? We have to decide, do we want to pursue the old life and hold on to it, or do we listen to the Holy Spirit and his leading in our life? So maybe you're a dad, and you have conflict with your teenage son, and you lay into him, and you just ream him out, and afterwards, the Holy Spirit says, you know, there's a better way. That's really not the best way to handle it. And you have to decide to die to your old response and listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit or whether to hold on to your, your response, don't you? Uh, you came to Christ, you were sexually uh, promiscuous before you came to Christ. Now you're trying to follow Christ and you're in a new relationship. And you're, you're dating someone and you're old, you've got your old patterns that are pulling at you and the Holy Spirit's saying, follow me. And you have to decide whether you, you die to your old self or whether you, or not, right? So, so uh, whether it's attitudes or emotions, we've got to decide. And if we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and by his power put to death the old life, guess what? We rise up, and we claim this new life, this new experience, this new person. There in your note sheet, next verse, Romans eight thirteen. Paul, this Paul explains this. He says, for if you live according to your sinful nature, you know, your old, fallen nature, you will what? Yeah. You'll die. You're not gonna experience the life God, uh, Christ came to give you. But if by the Spirit, underline that, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, your old life, then you will live. You see, death for the Christ follower, I'm not suggesting we all get a tattoo that says dying to live on our arm. That'll come next year. Um, But what I'm suggesting is, Christ followers, we all need that tattooed in our hearts. We need to understand this, that to rise to the new life God has for you, there's gonna be times you have to die to the old life. Now, what's that look like? Well, the apostle Paul takes the same metaphor. He describes it there, and you notice Colossians three he gives us a bunch of examples. He says, "Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your old self." Well, what does that look like? Well, he's going to give us some examples. Well, sexual immorality. So, sexual immorality, having sex outside of marriage, it destroys people. It destroys you. It destroys the other person. It's a ripoff. It rips a person's soul out. But he says, "You got to leave that behind." Um, impurity. Uh, of various kinds, lust, you know, the fallen, the fallen desires, evil desires, and greed, uh, you know, materialism, living for uh, money, for stuff, it's all about the stuff. He says, that's the that's, that's that's old way of life, you gotta let it go, which is idolatry, you know, making, making a god of our possessions. He says, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. gives give us some more examples. Now he's gonna turn to internal examples, attitudes, emotions, and so on. Anger rage, malice, and just wanting to hurt someone, filthy language, do not lie to each other, so deception. Why? Because you've taken off your old self, who I was before Christ, I've taken that off, with its practices, I've put on this new self, this new self, which is being renewed, catch that, it's an ongoing process, it's being renewed, it's being transformed, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. In other words, we're, we're becoming like our creator, like God again. And so this is a constant message of the New Testament. If you want the life God has for you, there are times you have to die to your old life and that death is actually the gateway into life. It's like, in the same way as Jesus went into the ground and died and then it produced new life, same with our lives. We have to follow him in that as we go into the ground and die to these old things that we will rise to a new life. That's the principle, okay? Now, number three. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. Number three is death is never easy. <laughs> Up to this point, it sounds pretty inspiring. Um, you know, something about sitting in church, and this stuff's just good, right? Here's the thing. I love about teaching Christ followers, you know, are Christ followers. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And I, I love the privilege of teaching you because I always know when I'm, when I'm telling the truth because you reflect it back to me. Uh, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And so when I'm teaching truth through Scripture, it's the Holy Spirit's bearing witness to that truth. And I see it all over this room. You're, you're nodding. Yep, uh-huh, yep, It's right, God, it. good, you know. What? what are you thinking? No, that's wrong, no. Uh, you're, you're with me. And I can tell us, as we grow as a church, as we grow as Christ followers in a church, it's a very, very different experience than I had five years ago here. Is that we, we have grown as a church. And as I'm teaching the word week by week, you're responding to the word, and your hearts are responding. And as I teach, your heads are nodding, and yes, and lights are going on. And this is what should happen in the body of Christ when we come around. What we do here is not just a teaching time. We are gathering around the Holy Spirit together, aren't we? And we are engaging with the Holy Spirit. When we open up the Word of God and we begin to talk about these things, we're engaging with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy spirits he's he's saying to you, yes, and to you, yes, and here's what it means for you, and here's what it means to you. And and so together we're embracing, you know, like in in Revelation, Jesus keeps saying, "Let, let him who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You see? And that's what happens here when we gather. And so up to this point, I know the Holy Spirit's been affirming. You've been affirming it back to me. That, okay, Jesus died for us, but we get that. But now we have to die with him to our old life in order to get the life. And it's making sense to you, isn't it? It's like it's, I can tell. It's making, this is making sense. All of this auditorium, this is making sense. Okay, but here comes the hard part. This is where the rubber meets the road is that death is never easy. Like it, it's one thing to sit in church and to say we have to die to our, our old life in order to rise to a new life. It's, it's, that's one thing. It, sounds, it makes so much sense in church. But I'll tell you, you go out of here, and let's take some examples. You've come to Christ. You're a single, you're a single adult. You read the part about sexual immorality and you're going like, that is so true. I've experienced that, that's true. And then you start dating someone. And all of a sudden it seems less and less true. Once you start remembering, you start remembering other encounters and other sexual things and your body begins to respond and, and your body memory begins to come back. And, and all of a sudden, every one thing in you is saying, man, if I really want to hold on to this person or if I really want to get close to this person or, or whatever the thing is, I, I need to go there. I, I, need to, I need to sleep with this person. And, and there's a strife. And when Jesus comes and says, you got to die to that, oh, man, this is not easy. This is hard. This is painful. This feels like the loss of part of yourself. And exactly, it is. When Jesus said, deny yourself, you see? Yeah, it's your old self. Um, it's one thing to sit in church and talk about put off anger. That sounds good. Oh, yeah, that's great. I get too angry too much. That sounds really good. And then someone does something that really hurts you, and everything within you wants to take them out. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Jesus comes and says, no, I want you to forgive them. Like, are you kidding me? That'd be like putting a knife in my heart. You know, it's like, I don't want to forgive them. I want to take them out, right? And all of a sudden, it's incredibly painful to forgive, isn't it? Uh, We can talk about impurity here importance of purity and, hey, dying to impurity, that sounds really good until it's midnight, you've had a bad day, you're discouraged for whatever reason, and you're sitting at your computer and there's no one else around and you're one click away from those images. Death is suddenly not easy. Um it's really cool to talk about, yeah, I, I don't want to be a materialistic person. I, I want to learn how to be a giver. I want to develop a generous spirit. I, I don't want to be about all about stuff. And, 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 and I've, I've spent too much time with my credit cards, running up my credit cards. And I, I want to get out of debt. And I, I want to do it the right way. And I want to give. And I want to have respect. And, I, and that's what I wanted. And we're all fired up about it. we can see it as clear as anything that there's life there, not death. Then all of a sudden, your buddy buys a really cool pickup truck. It's like, I got to have one of this. Right? You see? Here's what I want you to catch. Death is never easy. I want you to Death is always painful. And what Jesus is teaching us is not that death isn't painful. It's that it's worth it. And there's a big difference. In fact, you see this in his own life. Uh, Look at chapter 12 again, verse 1227. 1227, it says, as soon, uh, I'm in 1327. 1227, he says, now my heart is what? Troubled. That's a code for I'm really upset. Um, He is looking down the barrel of a week that's gonna end in this torture and death and all of a sudden he sees it and he is shook. We'll see how, much, how shook he is later right in, the, in Gethsemane. When he's in the garden of Gethsemane, remember he falls on his face before God. God, is there any other way? He's so stressed out that his, his capillaries in his, his forehead are, are bursting and he's actually sweating blood. You have to be under extreme strain, extreme stress to go through that. He, Jesus knows pain. What he tells us as followers is not that it's going to be easy to follow him. What he tells us is it's going to be worth it to follow him. Like there in your note sheet, there's a passage from Hebrews. We are in Hebrews before. And, and look what he says in Hebrews chapter 12. Where the author says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. The one who started it, the one who finished it. Catches who for the What? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You get that? He endured the cross. Why? For the joy. You see? And this is how it is in our lives. Jesus comes to us and says, If you're going to follow me, there's going to be times I'm going to ask you to die to something. It may be small, it may be big. But I promise you, it will never be arbitrary. I'm not asking you to die just because it's somehow good for you. I'm asking you to die because unless you die to that attitude, that emotion, that relationship, that dream, whether it's big or small, unless you die, you will never experience the life I came to give you. Does this make sense? You see? And so Jesus, I love him. He's such a straight shooter. He never comes and says, oh, this will just be always easy. It's like, no, he says, take up your cross. But he says, it's going to be worth it. And so he's going to come to us throughout our life, and like I say, sometimes it's something big, sometimes it's something small. Something, sometimes it's something he asks us to let go of, a dream, a sin, a uh, a relationship that's getting in the way. Something that's built. Sometimes he asks us to do something on the positive, something to actually take uh, join that life group, start that ministry. Go back and ask forgiveness and you have to die to yourself in order to take these steps. So sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative but it's always to give you life. And so as we come to the start of a whole new year this is one of my prayers for us as a church is that this year we would learn to die so that we can learn how to live. So I believe this the church of Jesus Christ in America is anemic. anemic because we haven't learned this lesson. We have tried to follow Jesus without dying to ourselves. And if you don't die to yourself, you will never rise to be like him. And this is an amazing thing. Not only do we rise to a new life, new attitudes, new perspectives, new dreams, new visions, new relationships. Not only is that true, here's the thing, is that when you follow Jesus in death, guess what? The best gift of all is you get more of Jesus. You get the more relationship. Like, look at your note sheet in 1226. Look what he says. Whoever serves me must follow me. If you're gonna be a, if, if you're gonna be my servant, you have to follow me in this path of death. But then he says, and where I am, my servant also will be. Like if you want to hang out with Jesus, then you gotta travel the path He He trod. You're gonna have to die to yourself like He died to Himself. It's and he promises, and if you will follow me in this, the best thing of all is we'll be hanging out together. See, where where, where I am, you will be. And so this year, if you want to dry, draw cl- uh, close to Christ, if you want the life he's died to give you, if you want this life we've been talking about all through the Gospel of John, the water of life, the bread of life, I've come to give you life to the full, Jesus says, so then follow me. Because it's in dying that we learn to live. Let's pray. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to start by talking to those of you that have not yet given your life to Christ. I talked to you earlier. If the Holy Spirit's working on you right now, you've been probably can't wait for this moment. The last 20 minutes have probably been like an eternity. You just want to get to the end so you can ask Jesus into your life. And if that's you, I want to give you a chance right now. I'm going to pray a simple prayer, just asking him to come into your life would you pray along with me either under your breath or in your heart and your mind? Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. I lay down my my arms. I confess my sins and rebellion. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me for all of my sins, even the worst. And that you put your spirit inside of me and change me from the inside out and teach me how to follow you and to become like you save a spot in me in the next life for me while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed if you just prayed that prayer i'd like to ask you to do me a favor Uh, inside of your program is a little connect card in the back if you just write me a note this is mike i prayed the prayer and here's what's going to happen if you were serious and honest with Jesus, you've just entered a new journey with him and you're gonna need some tips along the way. The first and most important step is for you to be baptized like we talked about today and we have one coming up in just a couple weeks. So one of the things that happens, we'll call you this week to see if we can schedule you to be baptized. The second thing that happened is I'll send you a letter this week with some, just some suggestions for your new trip, for your new journey. Some, some suggestions of how you can begin to grow in your new relationship with Christ. For the rest of us, while our eyes are closed and our heads are bad, I want to give you just a couple minutes to reflect on your own life. You know, it's you can't listen to a message like this without sometimes the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Maybe there's an area of your life that you've been resisting. There's a relationship that's out of whack. There's a sexual immorality issue in your life. There's a, a broken relationship of some sort that needs to be fixed. There's an attitude. There's a value. There's a material. There's something that you know it's not that you're not you're putting it on yourself. It's the Holy Spirit's bringing it to your attention. Maybe he's been bringing attention for a while and you've been so afraid to let it go because if you were to let it go, it's like giving up your life. You can't imagine what life would be without this or that. Or, And you, you know he's calling you and it's a matter of trust, whether you trust him or not. Today's the day you let go or you take that step, step out. And I just want to give you a chance right now that you just, Tell them that you're ready to take that step. For all of us, Lord, we want to learn this lesson a little bit more this year about dying to live, that it's in our death that we rise to a new life. It's as we give up our life to you that we rise with you to a whole new life. And so, Lord, we pray you teach that as a church. Lord, we don't want to be a church that's superficial, we don't want to be a church that believes in you but it's not transformed. We want to be a church of passionate Christ followers. That's our vision. That's our prayer. And we know it only comes through the, the path of death. Not a death that we make up, but a death that when you call, we answer. And so we pray that at the start of a new year, God, you would be our leader. When there's things this year that are getting in the way of our growth, that you'd point them out. You'd call us to let go of them. And you give us the faith to trust you and to follow. We pray this in your name. Amen. As we finish our service, we want to spend some time